Yo, 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 this is Oz, host and founder of Salinas Underground Podcast. And this is Claudia Melendez Salinas, co-founder of Voices of Monterey Bay. If you've been paying attention, you probably noticed we've teamed up with Voices of Monterey Bay to bring you some political coverage. So far, we've interviewed Supervisor Candidate Steve McShane and Wendy Rudaskew and Salinas City Council candidates, actually, Carla Viviana Gonzalez and Anthony Rocha. We have so much more on tap. This week, we've interviewed mayoral candidates Chris Barrera and Kimberly Craig and district candidate Vanessa Robinson. And by the way, I want to make a disclaimer. My full-time job is working for Al-Sal Union School District. I made a question to Kimberly that's related to a project that affects the district, but in no way I was doing that trying to represent the job, the district. That's a job reserved for people way above my pay grade. Just wanted to make sure that that's clear for everyone out there. And this experiment of us will continue for the next few weeks or until we reach the election time, whichever comes first. Let us know what you think. Send us an email to us at saladbites.com or letters at vom.org or find us on Twitter or Facebook. And now, without further ado. All right, so we're here with Kimberly Craig, who's running for mayor that's a simple one there's no district there (laughs) (laughs) at large yeah that's an easy one but yeah we're back um claudia welcome again another another one of these is getting fun i don't know welcome kimberly thanks thanks. for coming thanks for having me um so anyway yeah well let's jump right into it who are you and why did you decide (laughs) to run kimberly (laughs) who are you yeah uh, okay, so uh, Kimberly Craig is my name, and um, I was on city council from 2010 to 2018. I represented the north side of Salinas, which is um, District 5. Uh, that's usually the, uh, I mean, the areas that encompass District 5 are kind of the presidential streets off of Sherwood, uh, Northridge Mall, um, uh, Hardin Ranch, the Auto Mall, Santa Rita, Baranda. Um, the neighborhoods back behind Kmart, that whole general area, uh, was my district and I, um, uh, represented it. And in 2018, uh, opted not to run for reelection. So I stepped out to focus on my personal life and my professional life. Um, I am the president and CEO of the Monterey County Business Council. I also have a side hustle uh, with K. Craig Media. Um, that's what I've been doing for 20 years. I do um, media buying for some um, some companies here locally. And uh, why am I running? Well, uh, in all honesty, I, I didn't plan to run. Um in fact, I, I listened to your podcast on the mayor a couple of months ago, and you had you had some friends in, and you guys were talking about. It. I uh, apparently you were going to run at some point. I thought you I were feel like it. No. You were <laughs> you were talking about. He was talking a big game about running. Like, I was like, "Huh, Oz is going to run." Okay, I think that's awesome. Well, if Steve wins. I'm in his district, and they're going to need a spot. Oh, now. there you go, dude. <laughs> no, totally. No, no, this is about you and why you're. Okay, sorry. I, yeah, no, sorry. I don't mean to redirect, but I just thought I found that interesting. I was like, "Oh." Look at you, dude. Nice job. Um, so, uh, yeah, it wasn't really my plan to run. And um, in all honesty, uh, I had had a conversation with Mayor Joe Gunter in February. He had planned to run for re-election. Um, he passed away just a few days before the filing period opened for uh, running for mayor and just saw that uh, 
the city was in a kind of a crossroads where we had two city council members who were not running for re-election. We had a city manager who was retiring, um, possibly a police chief that was leaving. And I realized I had quite a bit of institutional knowledge. And I thought to myself, like, well, I feel like I could walk in there and I know the politics. I know the players. I know the department directors. I know the the projects that the city is working on. And I feel like I could I could walk into City Hall and and start immediately without any any issue whatsoever. So I just felt like in a time where the city needs leadership and direction and steadfast hand, um, I felt like I, I could do it. And I guess you touched on it a little bit when you talked about your experience, but I mean, can you expound a little bit more about your, what makes you qualified for this position? Sure. Um, well, so, you know, it's interesting. I ran in 2010 and the the reason I ran in 2010 was a much different reason than why I'm running in 2020. When I ran in 2010, uh, my car had gotten stolen out of my carport. I was underwater in my condo on the North side. And I was like, mad as hell and going to do something about it. And I felt at the time that my council member wasn't really representing my side of town very well. And I thought, well, I can do a better job. I feel like I can do a better job. And so um, so I went after it and I realized north side of Salinas uh, is representative of half of the city's retail tax base. And this is like not interesting, but just bear with me as I sort of explain it out. The two main sources of revenue for the city are property taxes and retail sales tax. And in 2010, they were just, you know, in the recession big time. The city had laid off 135 employees in 2009 and blown through, I think, $19 million in their reserves. So it was a big fat goose egg in their savings account, so to speak. So I came in and I was like, okay, (laughs) what a great way to start my city council you know, uh, career. And, but I realized very quickly that the North side had quite a bit of that sales tax revenue that was dependent upon what pays for libraries and parks and public works, streets, sidewalks, cops, firefighters. So I started to work really hard at trying to, you know, bring business into Salinas, which, you know, some people say, okay, well, there's, there your role as a city council person is really multifaceted. You need to make sure that your city is thriving, but that you're also taking care of your residents as well. Northside um, really had quite a few for lease signs, including um, the old Albertsons where Dick's Sporting Goods is now and Chipotle and BJ's Brewery and um, Yogurt Land. That whole area was open. Um, We had... uh, um, Northridge Mall at the time was being run by two guys out of Texas who thought painting the mall orange would bring more Hispanic people to the community, which... La Mall. Yeah. I was like, God, dude, you have no idea what's going on. So um, so I worked really hard and worked with those, uh, with those respective um, properties to bring sales tax in and to bring big businesses in, you offer tax incentives. And then that way you increase your sales tax, which then allows you to have more services for your residents. So to answer the question modern day, and sorry, that's a really long way to get to a short question, but um, you know, it's what I do for a living. I'm, 
like I said, the CEO of the Business Council, Business Advocacy, we are facing a $19.3 million deficit in the city. $14 million is COVID-related. So, and that number is growing because we're still closed for business, essentially. Um, and so whoever is the mayor needs to have a plan in place to bring the economic recovery back to the city. Otherwise, we're going to be laying people off. City services are going to be reduced and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to look like it did in 2010. But I've gone through it and I feel confident that I can work and be the leader of of the city to to bring some of that business back and to help in a safe way. I mean, obviously, we need to get our numbers down. That's a major issue um, in, in terms of COVID, but we really need to make sure that we are, um, we're open for business and that we're offering tax incentives for some of the larger businesses, but then easing up some of the restrictions for some of the small businesses. You know, we have, the city has some really well-intended, you know, ordinances in place, you know, but in a time like this where it's really unprecedented, like why can't you have sandwich boards on the sidewalk that says we're open? Like, yeah. you know, silly I stuff like that. I have to say something that is very impressed me and I know I'm interrupting, but I think that we Interrupt, should sister. get this. Like, um, I've been fascinating at the time, at the a quickness in which we have seen businesses open up on the sidewalks. And I know that it was a fight for like a decade, right? Yeah. Oh, totally. And then COVID outdoor stri- seating. strikes and then suddenly you have outdoor seating everywhere. And I'm like, oh, it's I thought this conspiracy. could not, I <laughs> thought this could not get done. And guess what? It's getting done and it's getting done really quickly. And guess what? It's kind of nice too. And it is really fascinating for me to see. It's like, uh, yeah, I thought it couldn't get done. And now it is done. It's like, okay. I have to say the entrepreneurial spirit of small businesses, and I I was a small business as well, you get creative in order to make payroll, in order to make your rent. Like you have to get really creative really quickly. I remember um, Swenson and Salachi, um, you know, was technically supposed to be closed for business, but online shopping was allowed. So they were able to accept orders online and deliver, you know, flowers through their web portal, which is, I mean, it's, it seems simplistic now, now that we're six months into it, but like a week into being shut down for business, good for Mark Salachi and figuring out how to like loop around it a little bit so that he can continue to, you know, pay his employees and, and be open for business. And it's the same. The outdoor seating is a, is a direct result of that. I mean, okay, if I can't have my business indoors like how do you get it outdoors so that i can continue to pay bills well and that that is really impressive and and it was really cool again being here especially in old town because it's all local businesses to see the owners with the the drills in their hands and figuring it out and being like man is that gonna be sturdy enough but i know yeah no but it was so cool to be like look they're doing whatever they need to to keep their business open and, and you talk to them all of a sudden they're having to buy heaters and yep. again, wood and drills. They're going to need help at some point is the city next year when it goes back and does the math, how, or is it going to be in any position to be able to help anybody or, or what can be done? I guess. I mean, yeah. So that's a really, I mean, that's a pointed question and I wish I had a pointed answer. The, you know, in my mind, in terms of, understanding the city's $189 million budget and basically 10% is getting lopped off right now. 
I can't guarantee anything for next year. I mean, my, my goal is to be able to like have the parks open and to have the libraries open and to, you know, that being said, there are certain things you can do to ease up on, on some of the, um, some of the restrictions that, that are in place for small businesses, right? That's, that's, that's the ability and the policy that, that, um, city council can both create and rescind if they need to, um, you know, I have no idea what it looks like. I have no idea what COVID is. No. You know, I, I had in, I had thought COVID was going to be like three or four weeks and, you know, now we're going into six months yeah. and Halloween is canceled. <laughs> you know, it's, it's oh. crazy. And so for me, um, my, my focus if should I should I win that seat is really to try to come up with some creative things. And frankly, I don't want to reinvent the wheel if if, you know, Poughkeepsie is doing a phenomenal job at getting their businesses back open. I have no problem copying another city if it's working in a in a different area. And that's one of the things I've I've found is there are some really creative ways to to help. Um, and it can, could even be financial. I just, I don't know what that looks like yet. So to promise mm-hmm. that I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have a solid answer. Mm-hmm. I just want to clarify your, your stance. You said Halloween is canceled. <laughs> Let it be known. <laughs> Sorry. That's going to be Sorry. the hit piece. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I'll have candy for, I'll have candy at my door. Picture. She yeah. wants to cancel Halloween. I'll have a, I'll have a PVC pipe, like all the way out to the sidewalk <laughs> and I'll just throw snicker bars down it to the kids on the sidewalk. <laughs> So you mentioned, you already kind of touched on this. You're kind of anticipating some of the questions that that we were going to ask, which is, you did your homework, obviously, here. I, I, um, I like to think I did. Yeah. In addition to the financial, you know, $18 million right there, what other issues do you see? Or or is it like, um, other than that, what was how was the opera, Mrs. Lincoln, kind of, <laughs> kind of question? Um, well, I mean, there are... You know, there are certain buzzwords, particularly in this election, that people want to talk about. And I think that they're very valuable topics, Um, homelessness being one of them, affordable housing being another. Um, Those are actively being worked on at the city. I I anticipate continuing to support, you know, the permanent shelter that Mayor Gunter had started with the city council. I I was part of the council when when we had launched that. I left in 2018, but it's finally getting built and it's scheduled to um, open, I think, in the in the spring of this upcoming year. So certainly providing those services for our um, the population that really sort of needs it the most. I'm I'm certainly uh, encouraging to to make sure that that continues and that we continue to focus on that because, you know, the quality of life. um is affected throughout the city. I mean, like, you know, we, I'm sure you guys drive up and down 101 and see the Laurel exit and the Veranda exit and Chinatown is terrible. And the, the union Pacific trellis now is spilling over with tents and we just don't have, we haven't um, been very proactive about it. And I think the city's relationship with the County, I mean, I've often said this, like people go, what is the city going to do? We don't have a social services department at the city. No one at the city does mental health services or, you know, social services of any kind. That is the County that does that. So we have really looked to the County uh, in the past and said, Hey, you know, let's collaborate because you guys, you guys are the ones that, you know, homelessness isn't about 
giving somebody a bed and a sandwich and calling it good. It is a multifaceted, it's drug rehabilitation, it's alcohol rehabilitation, it's, you know, workforce development, it's transitional housing, it's mental health services, it's, you know, case management is really going to be how you reduce homelessness. You're never going to, you're never going to get rid of homelessness, but you can certainly reduce it if you take it from a comprehensive approach. So, um, so I'm, I, you know, for me, that's, that was a big thing when I was on council, I, I anticipate working, um, working through and really trying to provide those services, um, um, for our homeless population. And then affordable housing obviously is a big, big deal. I, I bought my condo. I'll never forget. I bought my condo in 2010 at the height of the previous housing market. So, um, and I, you know, it's public record, so I don't have any problem talking about it, but it's a 900 square foot condo on the North side of Salinas. And I paid $340,000 $340,000 for it. It's never gotten back to that number like ever. And the one above me went sold in foreclosure for $52,000. So I was having my moment of like, Hmm, that was really poor decision-making on my end. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget sitting in a, in the bank and having, you know, being a single woman trying my best to like make my roots here, like stay here permanently and buy a home here and feeling like I made, you know, decent money, but not, you know, I didn't make six figures or anything like that, but I'll, I'll never forget the, the more, the mortgage person said to me, you basically need to be married in order to buy a home. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like, pardon my language. Sorry. But it was, uh, you know, I was like, sorry, I know. You're going to have to put explicit on it. There's a, no, but, they're all explicit. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. good. But, you know, it was just such a moment for me at age 30 where I felt like I was trying to do the right thing, trying to stay here, trying to be, to make myself, you know, a part of this community. And it was nearly impossible. I mean, so I, I understand that element of it. I've had that condo for 16 years now, 15 years, uh, almost 16. And, uh, and I think that we need to be looking at opportunities for young people to buy their first home, young families to buy their first home, safe places for seniors to be able to buy. I'm, you know, we did a really good job on the North side back in the seventies, you know, you have Northgate village, you have California Hawaiian, you have um, the circle apartments or the point, I think is what they're called now. Um, Heritage gardens, village, North lagoon, all of those medium density housing areas, but like we need more. And Um, I think single family homes are good, but they're also, you know, they take up a lot of square footage and we should be looking at multi-level condos, particularly in our future growth area. Um, that's slated for 11,000 homes. There's so for, for the listeners at home, that is on Baranda road. Um, if you are on Baranda, it's the North side of Baranda. So that field, that whole field all the way down to Williams is what the future growth area is slated for. So that's, um, homes, that's schools. There's another library, another fire station. I mean, it's basically, they're building like Another little city Another over there. City. Yeah. And for the listeners, we did mention it briefly uh, for the, um, when we had uh, Carla and uh, Anthony Rocha. Yeah. They, they were mentioning that they would be in their districts. They would be yeah. in their districts. Yeah. So. Okay. So I one thing. Okay. Well, people are going to learn that I love to stare at maps when listening to oh, this yeah. series. Right on. So I was staring at 
that maps from that. And, and so then I was thinking, all right, when this is done, basically up until old stage road is going to be the new edge of Salinas. So from there, all the civic center is still here in old town traffic. How, how I'm, I'm thinking of, are, are we going to have highways? Are we thinking of buses or like, what, what is this just going to be gridlock? Especially it's be gridlock. if it's no, dense. I'm yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, cause I'm just, if it's going to be dense and we have a, a huge, you know, a dense neighborhood here by the mountains and they have to travel to, I mean, it's only five miles, but it would, yeah, it's it would, chaos. It's it would, chaos it to get out of like, um, Creek bridge right now in the morning. Right. Like yeah. there's like basically one entrance and exit, unless you're on Williams and Williams is packed. And so, yeah. So, so how yeah. could Salinas afford to build either on, which I really hope not about an expressway or something straight to that area or buses, or if my dream came true, light rail. <laughs> Dude, so cool. I have worked on light rail. So with, that's a different, that's a different topic. Ask, we can I, talk about I, that. I want to, yeah, well, actually, uh, that question would be so, so all over the place. But yeah, because when I want to talk about the train, because yeah. you, I believe you were on the Tamsi, yep. you represented Salinas on there. And so I keep trying to hammer it to people within 10 years, much even much sooner than that, there will be a train running yep. from Salinas to the Bay Area. Um, I have my opinions of how, what I think that'll, how that'll change Salinas. How do you think that train will change Salinas? Well, so do you want me to answer the traffic question first? Yeah, go. Okay. Yeah, go let ahead. me answer the traffic question about the future growth area. Just, I, yeah. I didn't really have we'll, a question the, ready, but I'm just, it's all good. Madness. No, no, no. So, so here's the thing, like there is um, a memorandum of understanding. It's a, what's called an MOU between the city and the County that um, kind of draws out. So, let me back up a half step. So one of the things that I realized when you're on city council, you're not just making decisions for today, right? But you're like doing some serious long-term planning for the city, right? So you're talking about dark fiber lines out in the Alisal. It's like infrastructure things. You're planning stuff. East bypass. Yeah. East side. So, yeah. so, you know, you, you <laughs> set up that question for me and you no, know the no, answer. Well, you were mentioned because I, well, I did my. I did my senior project on city planning and I ah, worked with no the planning kidding. department. I love it. So back then they were, they were redoing the general plan. So yeah, yeah I, I, it's okay. still the same general plan. So you're so coming I still clean on me there. No, uh, I know. Okay. I, well, I just love that kind of stuff. It's, well, you know? I do too. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I totally thought it was a great, you know, for me, it's like, okay, if I have the ability to plan out what the city looks like in 30 years, when I'm 75, right, you have to plan out in order to actually achieve anything, right? So it may be that not everything comes true or, yeah. you know, that we're able to implement everything, but you certainly got to plan for it. So um, so that was part, there was a memorandum of understanding between the city and the county about what ag land would not be um, would not be built upon. And so there was some, you know, back in the general plan, they determined that the future growth area right there, if you were going to expand the city, if the city needed to expand, that would be the area where you would expand. It wouldn't be in the fields across from Star Market in South Salinas or Blanco and Davis, you know, that area. Closer to the river, the more valuable. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So Check out my garden, if you don't believe so it. I love it. I love it. So, so they created and Oz, Oz, uh, said it, the East side, West side bypass, which is just basically a giant circle that encompasses the city so that you can get from East to North to South Salinas 
relatively quickly. It's, you know, it's a futuristic way of, of thinking, but that's kind of what you have to do when you're planning out, you know, a, a big project like that. And so, um, there was a whole bunch of, you know, drama about it and the the county there, didn't like there it cannot and, be construction or development in this county without drama yeah well that, but that probably too. the whole world mm-hmm. that's anyway, true no yeah. but in this county particularly but but you know so you have to come to understand sort of what you know landowners want because then you know the last thing you want to do is is declare eminent domain that's not fun for anyone where you yank land from you know from unless it's done for the Indians. Uh, no, not eat. I wouldn't want to do that. Are you kidding? No way, man. I was just being facetious. I know. For I'm the, so for the listeners. I, I understand for the listeners, but uh, but anyway. So that that was a big um, that was a big project that you know you certainly when you're planning out an addition like that you all traffic and transportation and make sure that you know you are making good decisions about widening Baranda, like widening Williams Road, if you can, you know, certain areas of the city that need to expand. So that's the long answer, again, to the short question. But for the train, that's what you were asking. Yeah. How do you think that the train is going to change it? Um, I think it's super cool. I think it's great. I mean, honestly, you know, uh, I would love to have mass transit down here. I don't know how many of us have been stuck on 101 on a Sunday by the big red barn and can't go anywhere. Um, it's just responsible. It's responsible to have that type of transit available to your community. Um, we had a railroad years and years and years ago that, you know, passenger rail, I should say, yeah. we, we currently have rail, but it's for, um, freight. yeah, freight. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but, you know, I think there's an opportunity there really to, um, it would, it would change the dynamic of, um, not just, uh, housing in this area, but also, you know, ag tech and having the ability to drop off at, it's the Deer Duran station is where they want to link up to in San Jose, which is downtown. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just think there's an opportunity there for, and and you can hop on and go to San Francisco or Sacramento from there too. So it's just fewer cars on the road. And Let me ask something about that because yeah. I've been watching a couple of planning commission meetings and also we, there was a, um, a study session with the city council last week on the mm-hmm. on the west nerd. area development and uh one thing that is uh no did you call me a nerd? Uh, the, uh, one of the things that caught my attention is that uh the planners the the people keep asking questions about parking they keep oh, yeah. saying there's not enough parking there's not enough parking and what the planners say is like well we're planning for fewer cars on the road because that is the the desirability or you know to just keep have people work where they live etc cetera, etc cetera. is that pie in the sky wishful thinking because honestly people love their cars yeah and so are people going to not have cars suddenly or are we just creating a bigger problem than already is so i that's a totally legit question and one of the things i sort of you know when i'm when i bought my place on North Main, I promptly sold my bike because I'm not going to ride my bike on North Main Street. That's like no. playing a game of Frogger every day. I don't yeah. want to do that. Right. So we're, we're not exactly a bike, bikeable community. 
Um, but we're putting in bike lanes, right? And you're like, okay, so, but again, going back to the original concept of planning, like those are things that you have to consider. The other the other side and what you're asking about, you know, are there going to be fewer cars on the street? I mean, we're moving now to driverless vehicles. I don't know what it looks like in the future. I agree with you a little bit, Claudia, that like, I, I enjoy my vehicle. There's a reason you get, you know, 10,000 choices of cars and models and makes and years, and they change them every three years because people like the luxury and the, you know, the, the ability to choose the color and what they, you know, the model. And so for me, it's going to have to be a frame of mind change in order to, to have that be successful. And it's not that I love vehicles and, and transit. And I, you know, I do think that we should move away from fossil fuel burning and all that. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. But we need to have the jobs in our community that will allow us to have that. And and what kind of choices do we have? And I think that's where I look at it from, yeah. from that perspective. Are we going to have enough jobs in the north area of Salinas to be able to sustain people so they don't have to be driving? And yeah. that to me is is the key. Yeah. So, um, well, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I think, you know, when the city, uh, when the city incorporated the Alisal back in 1963 or 64, um, you know, they took on a lot of houses and not a lot of, uh, you know, job, you know, there aren't a lot of, um, opportunities out there for jobs. And so it's like, you know, you're bringing in more population, but what do you have, available to them to be able to sustain living and working in the same community. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's also a big part of, um, part of the discussion and the general plan is talking about economic development. And that's a super, super buzzy word that gets thrown around a lot, but there's, there's real value to planning and saying, okay, at the corner of, North Main and Russell, that's going to be a business park and we're going to have jobs, you know, that's going to be 100,000 square foot facilities out there that you can actually have higher paying jobs. You can actually have, you know, companies that you woo companies into the city. And if you have mass transit, particularly from San Jose, those are all good opportunities, you know, for growth, responsible opportunities for growth. You don't just build 11,000 homes and go, gosh, good luck, guys. I don't know where you're going to get a job. You know, you just open up the door. I'm sorry, Oz. I'm By all means, yeah, go head. for it. Um, to another question that I would like to ask, and I've been, um, it's hard sometimes to to change hats because I try not to. I try to stay in my lane when I can. But right now I'm going to do that briefly. And you know that I also work, my day job is a spokesperson for Alsa Union School mm-hmm. District. And right now uh, the district is going through a little bit of an issue with the city because um, the, the area is going to need uh, schools. Mm-hmm. But the designated land that has been designated for for schools is really small. And so what can the city do to help more land to be available for schools? Because let's face it, homeowners are going to want to have public schools for their kids. Yeah, of course. And if there's not well, enough it's, land. It's mandated. I mean. Exactly. <laughs> and so if there's not enough land for kids to, uh, for, for for the district to have land, I mean, what 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 can the city do to help? I mean, and that's how I understand it. I may be uh, 
a little bit off here, but that's, I think that's, that's been a big issue here. So, so, you know, I, so I can't speak to it directly. I don't know all the details of it, but I I would, I would think there would be an opportunity. I mean, in the same, in the same sense that we're talking about, you know, condo complexes and whatnot, it's okay to have a three or four story school. I mean, if you, if that means you free up more land with the wise so that you can have playgrounds and you can have soccer fields and a baseball field and whatnot, why not build up? I mean, I've, I've always felt like there's, um, an opportunity and almost a, a wasted opportunity where, you know, we've had it, downtown Salinas has so many like one, you know, flat land parking lots. And I was like, why wouldn't we just build a four or five story parking structure and then utilize the open parking lots, which is actually part of the downtown vibrancy plan is getting rid of some of those just open parking lots that are, you know, across from city hall next to city hall, the, the one back behind Rabobank, like creating some, you know, real value in the land that you have. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's using infill. And so, um, you know, my, my knee jerk reaction to your question is why wouldn't you build up? Why wouldn't you have a three or four story school and then allow the land for kids to play on around it rather than sprawl it out sideways? I don't know. Just a, well, and like <laughs> I said, I, I, I don't have a hundred percent information about that. So I better just Wasn't there like parking requirements and stuff as well. Yeah. Cause then you'll be like, well, you're, oh, you have a certain amount of square footage. It doesn't matter if it's, 10 stories up right you need x amount of parking spots but totally. oh, we don't have that land well sorry and i also think we're talking about a huge area of land so yeah you can have a, a school here but if you want to have neighborhood schools how feasible it is to have kids walk i don't know three miles two miles three when miles you're yeah. talking about not wanting to have cars either right so all the right. pieces have to fit together right totally and no i i'm in complete agreement i think so. that there's you know and that's I don't profess to have all the answers. I mean, right. that's the thing. There are people at, at City Hall that I often ask a lot of uncomfortable questions about traffic and transportation and what does it look like in terms of, you know, the the urban sprawl versus, you know, making sure that we have community-based neighborhoods and that, you know, all those things yeah. that um, plant city planners and traffic and transportation engineers yeah. are, that's where you, I, I actually, so- totally unrelated, but funny story. Um, I had my experience with traffic and transportation um, over the Sonic that was built in uh, the Kmart parking lot. lot, So if I can do, are you, are you, can I tell this story? Is that okay? It's just funny. It's like 20 seconds, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so it was interesting because when when the franchisee came and said, I want to put a Sonic in the parking lot of Kmart, I was like, great. I mean, nobody's at Kmart. There's some crazy amount, 1,500 parking spaces. I mean, it's crazy and always empty. And I thought, what a great opportunity. And the traffic and transportation guys were like, uh, that's going to change the pattern of traffic significantly if you put a very popular fast food restaurant in the parking lot of, of Kmart. And there were like all of these um, traffic fees that went along with, you know, putting a, you know, if you, if you build a McDonald's in the middle of a field, it means there are going to be a bunch of cars now in that middle of that field. Same thing with this Sonic, right? So they're like, you have to plan for 
road improvements, light, you know, stoplight improvements, everything. So I argued, I'm like, uh-uh, because when Kmart was built in 1978, they already paid those traffic fees because Kmart was super popular in the, in the 70s and there's 1,500 parking spaces to prove it, right? So we we worked it out, we negotiated it out and and they paid a lower amount than than what was originally asked of them. And on the first night of Sonic... <laughs> They got calls to the police department because the line wrapped all the way around Laurel and up Davis and off to the off ramp. And I, I sat there just mortified. I was like, oh, I'm in trouble with the, <laughs> I am in trouble. I was trying to justify it. And these guys were right, you know, because that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, I'm living across the street from in and out. Oh, yeah. It is. That's, <laughs> you know, these popular places are a nightmare for yeah. the neighbors in the in and out. Uh, basically, it, it's been so horrible, so horrible, especially after COVID, because then nobody can get out yeah. and eat. So and the everybody's line in is, is just ridiculous. And actually, a shout out to the traffic department, because they actually I think that they fixed the problem. And at first I was very reluctant to admit it. I was upset. I thought this is going to make the problem worse, but actually it looks like it's working out. So. They they know. I mean, as much as I think I know stuff, like they're pretty good at, at figuring out like how to trap traffic calming. There's another term, but it's all that is, is important in terms of quality of life for people and making sure that you're not clogging up, you know, neighborhoods and side streets and it was just that was my funny little sonic story where I was like, oh, I'm I'm in a lot of trouble at City Hall on Monday. <laughs> were the you police, forgiven? Yeah, I mean, yes, it's but they were there. sort of like, we told you, you know, it was like I felt like an idiot. And the police department was getting calls because, you know, the traffic was just backed up everywhere. And I was like, oh, whoopsies. I can't yeah, imagine. My bad. Just my looking, bad. thinking about in and out. Yeah. Yeah. Oz. So to, I, I still have, uh, I just want to wrap up my final train question. Oh, yeah, sorry. Well, because one thing also that I keep thinking of the train and all, and uh, you mentioned earlier, um, your your condo, somebody from the Bay Area might be like, wait, what? 300 something thousand? I, no problem. Right. And now there's going to be a train connection. I could yeah. do my work. And so how can the city protect us, me, you know, uh, that are barely struggling to keep our places as it is to get, you know, to keep that tidal wave of people that, that all of a sudden they can afford to live here. They're even closer to the Monterey Peninsula, which they flood every weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, So what can the city do or, or is that just a a part of change? Um, Well, I don't want to be as flip as to say it's just a part of change, but what I have learned, and this is like really clear with, you know, seaside highlands and all of the marina, like you can't control who purchases homes, right? Yeah, exactly. So that part is challenging. But what you can do is you can make it so that you have enough affordable housing in your community to be able to allow people to purchase a home and where they live and work, right? And so there's an, you know, there's a, a definitely a always an issue. I mean, I think Hollister has been dealing with it, you know, as it, that, that continues to creep South yeah. from, uh, from the San Jose area. But I do think that we have the opportunity to, you know, if we, if we're smart and responsible about what we offer to our residents, then, you know, there's an opportunity there just like everybody else to purchase a home. It's, it's, 
the idea is not to have, you know, my condo turn into a $750,000 condo because of the demand, right? That's, that's part of it is, you know, when you don't have enough housing, that's where demand and pricing goes up and, and the people from the Silicon Valley then get to buy my 900 square foot condo. I would love it, but don't get me wrong. Yeah, no, like, yeah, exactly. On the personal like, level, it's like, yeah, that, like, that's a good investment. No, no. Then I wouldn't like, be able yeah. to afford to buy exactly, something and I'm yeah. like stuck. So yeah. So anyway, I, I, you know, there's no real solid answer. It's just that part I would say is just making sure that you have, you have enough supply so that it your your housing stays affordable for your community. And do you think in the current plan for that area, the western area specific plan and central area, is there enough affordable housing or dense? Um, I think there, I think there could be more. Um, It's it again, it goes back to the landowners and the developers and what they're willing to do and whether or not it pencils out. I mean, you know, you have to, you have to incentivize in order to, you know, if if you've got a plot of land and I can sell one acre for a million bucks, but there's a, you know, you're supposed to be building affordable housing. You're not going to sell that one acre for $200,000. So you have to be able to create some incentives to those, those developers to make sure that they're, they're building that affordable housing because they're not going to do it voluntarily. (laughs) Let me switch it up a little bit. And this is a question we've been asking. I've been asking all of the candidates. So I think so far. Um, and it is, I don't know if you're familiar with a proposal that Joe Livernois, we at Voices of Monterey Bay put together, it's called REACT, and it's a proposal that would, it based on a, another program called Cahoots in Eugene, Oregon, hmm. that, that is proven to be successful, and it is using a team of people who are uh, experts on or or have have been trained in dealing with mental health issues, mm-hmm. people on the streets, you know, people who probably are uh, intoxicated or those type of emergencies. This team is not an arm group. I mean, they're not. I mean, they're not law enforcement. They're just civilians. But they they have used this team to divert some calls from the police in order to relieve the police and and sort of like a situ. Um, remedy, I guess, an alternative to the calls that the police receive in which the person may be distraught or whatnot in order to try to have some sort of alternative to high tense situations yeah. with police departments. Have you heard about that? And So I haven't heard, no, I haven't heard about um, the proposal that Joe put together. Uh-huh. That's an interesting one. Um, are they... Are they professionals? Are they volunteers? Are they, I mean, how is it, how is that structured? The proposal would be to have an organ, maybe the county or, or, um, mental health department put together a team and it would be experts. It would be trained people to be taking those calls rather than sending them to law enforcement. So the, the city of Salinas, Salinas PD is already working with the county mental health services. They actually have mental health experts that deal with some of those calls. Uh-huh. So that is, uh, and I don't, uh, you know, I couldn't speak to how long it's been going on, but I know that um, certainly having that conversation about, you know, diverting some of those calls and being able to um, provide professional services, you know, and I think I I would be more hesitant to use a, a, like a local nonprofit or something like that. I'd rather have it be a County contract or something where you have, like you said, mental health experts or, um, 
from from the county health department participating in that because then you you keep that consistency also and if i may like with the homeless shelter that you have and and some of the issues that you you see on the street are oftentimes intertwined with homelessness and mental health so i think it would be smart to try to streamline that as best you can so that um so that people understand you know that they're working with an individual that they may have worked with previously mm-hmm. okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm totally for that. I know the, the police department was, that was part of their collaborative justice reform in 2015 was, was really, um, taking a look at, um, opportunities where they could, um, utilize services of the County and the mental health services and whatnot. I, if I recall correctly, that was part of, you know, part of their, um, commitment to changing the department. Mm, Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. I so when you originally left uh, office as a council member, were you happy with the job you had done? Did you think it was like mission accomplished? Not, I mean, it's obviously the mission keeps going, but did you feel like you had, there was closure there when you left? Um, so it was hard. I mean, uh, you know, and I I sort of touched on it, but the reality. So city council is a part time job. A lot of people don't know that. Um, yeah. Anyone who says they do it for the money, you're wrong. Dude. <laughs> it was 600 bucks a month. I'm constantly that. amazed of people who dedicate any type of public service, anything that you do, like any planning, sitting on the planning commission yeah. or library commission, because it's tough. It's so, super tough. Yeah, and, yeah. and I really struggled adjusting to that, you know, particularly as social media continued and like, you know, you're on the crime watch forums and people are talking smack and you're yeah. like, I wanted so badly to like type, you know, I'm reading this, right? Like I'm on this forum. Yeah. I can see this, but, but you know, it is what it is. That's part of, part of what you get when you're, you know, when you're in office, um, to answer the question, I felt like I, I, there were certain things that I wanted to accomplish, but I know that they are like 10 and 20 year projects yeah. like the train. I busted my tail going to t- Tamsey, which is transportation agency of Monterey County. I was on the, that board for eight years. I was the chair at one point I was pushing. I'll never forget Lou Calcagno, who was a County supervisor for North North County said to me, like my, you know, I was bread eyed and bushy tailed and 33 and super excited that the train was coming in 2010, you know, and he's, he turned to me and he'd been in politics for 30 years in this County. And he's like, it's never coming. It's never coming. And I was like, Oh, and I said to him, I, you will be the first passenger on it. then, Lou, that's, that's my like goal. But I also recognize like there's so many moving parts. You have to get the approval of union Pacific for track rights. You have, it's a fully funded project. There's money sitting in an account to get that train down here, but it's, you know, convincing Caltrain to expand their services down here. It's, there's so many moving parts that it's difficult to get done. And that's coming from the private sector where it's like, you can get things done really quickly because you just make a decision. Public sector government stuff just takes forever to do. And so there were two things that I was actually three things I was super stoked about when I, um, when I left office where I was like, okay, Okay, this is good. Like one was the Al Gabalan Library um, because that was on the north side, and I felt like they were just getting shafted with a postage stamp of a library that hadn't been updated since the '60s. And mm-hmm. you walk in there, and there's a ton of kids using computers in there. 
Um, and I, Gloria De La Rosa and I really pushed, really pushed to expand that so that there was an opportunity for something like a banner, banner, you know, facility for North Salinas. Like, you know, Sherwood Hall was that years ago, but it's yeah. really not anymore. And so the, I, I remember breaking ground and I was like, okay, I can leave now because they're not going to back out on it. Yeah. <laughs> they've broken, they've started construction, you know? So that was a, that was uh, one that I felt really satisfied about. The other one was the police station because um, it had just been promised for decades. And, um, you know, it was originally built in like the fifties and it was built, it was built for like 63 people. Like the, the square footage of it had room for 63 people and they had like 213 employees crammed in there. People were sharing desks and lockers because, and the evidence room, I mean, you walked in there, it smelled like weed because you know, the, the, the duct system in there was so old and they were, you know, so I felt like when we broke ground on the police station too, I was like, okay, that's going to, it has a community, um, a giant community room that people can use. There's a, you know, they were talking about doing a, um, like a Craigslist, um, Facebook marketplace, drop off safe space where you can drop off stuff in the parking lot or child custody, whatever. Like those were really sort of, um, good things for me where I was like, okay, I feel like, you know, I, I moved the ball down the field, so to speak. But the last one was, um, and this happened earlier on, but, um, I realized pretty quickly, and this is just the aging of my own parents, seeing how important, um, safe and, uh, safe and just modern housing for seniors is really important. And the, the, um, the big uh, senior facility that's on um, Market and Lincoln right there, it's all glass and it's across from the train station. But that that was like, OK, there's a bus stop. It's you know, it's like you just see, you know, 200 seniors where you're like, OK, they're in good. They're in good square footage. There's clean. It's, it's nice, yeah, yeah, it's modern. So those were three for me where I felt like, OK, I can leave and I feel like, you know, some of that work is done. So. And that library is really nice. I mean, there's a really cool. I mean, I made fun of it because it overlooks Burger King, but whatever. <laughs> Details. Well, I mean, Details. What are you gonna do? Turn out the Burger King, you yeah, know? No. Um, but yeah, but it's got this really cool patio where you can go out there, and and uh, other than the Burger King, it's really good sunset. There's a big views. wall, so you don't have yeah. to see the Burger King when and you're on the patio. Sunset views also, and it's a it's a really cool place. Uh, sometimes I, I that is. Because I lived on the north side for, you know, a long time. I went to Alvarez. I went to Gavilan View. I went to Loma Vista. Um, and that is sometimes a little bit of my criticism, if anything, mm-hmm. is, yeah, again, not businesses go away, but it, it's a little more corporate than dead down here. Um, and sometimes it just feels like you can't just, you know, walk around or, or hang yeah. out somewhere and read a book. Like, I love to just, well, I mean, it's a little different now, but. They, there's like modular benches in front of the Steinbeck yeah. Center here, and it's so cool to go to the Bearded Bean and you know, and Bakery Station and grab a sandwich and just sit there. Um, but it's cool that the North Side has that because still, I um, that my heart's still there, you know, that yeah. I was there for so long, and it was cool to see that. Honest, I mean, well, again, COVID, right? But I didn't yeah. get a chance to actually enjoy it, but I really do look forward to one of these warm days 
um, just being able to sit out there because I love to read. You yeah, know, and they just, have a deck on the second floor. So that was what was also super. I was like, I got all choked up. I was like the total mama bear in the audience. I wasn't on council anymore. But when they opened, I was like, there it is. Like, oh, my gosh. It's, you know, it's, and it was it was I'd say I'm going to get choked up now. It was a such a banner moment for the north side. And for me, it was just classy and, you know, done right. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, uh, you know, it left very little criticism, maybe except for the Burger King across the yeah. street. But I mean, that's how that's a reach. You <laughs> yeah. know, like I had to reach because, come on, I had to criticize. There's, it's on me. the second floor, there's a balcony like deck out there where I sat yeah. out there in solitude and just loved it and thought, yeah. my gosh, what a great opportunity. I actually pushed for a um for a coffee shop to be attached to it oh, because I thought cool. it would be super cool to be able to like you know read a book, have a cup of coffee, you know, Borders did it Borders bookstore did a really good job of like allowing you to walk around with food and coffee yeah. and peruse for hours and mm-hmm. um and it didn't pan out but it's also, you know, sort of when you're trying to do the right thing and offer up those opportunities for your residents like those things are absolutely discussed. I actually, yeah. I, so I can tell you now, cause it's, this is, you know, it's past tense, but they had all these community meetings about what you wanted in your library. And I had like friends planted in those community meetings that were like, we want to, we want a coffee shop. <laughs> <So> <laughs> like, I, I may have tried to sandbag it a little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that'd be cool. I mean, there's a, uh... The Whole Foods in downtown San Jose, actually, by the Derridon Station, they have a brewery, and it's got this second-floor beer garden type area, and that's one of my favorite places to sit there and just look at the traffic going down Santa Clara Street. Obviously, like I've said, I love city planning and cities and how they operate. So to me, it's like that is our – I haven't been there, but that's Main Street. That yeah. is as busy as a street as it gets. It's like, what, six lanes right there? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to just have the city sounds kind of – you know, making their own ambiance and sitting there reading a book and reading John Steinbeck, you know, like, holy crap, like this is, he would have never thought this would, it would have been, but I'd love to see the transition of like Sherwood hall or something like that to be something that's way more useful than, I mean, I shouldn't say we should have a civic center of like that, but it's just, it's so rarely used. I mean, it, we had, Concerts there in the seventies and eighties, and comedians would come to town and like, when they were yeah, at man. their height. There, so fun fact: uh, Sherwood Hall is in a Huey Lewis in the News. Um, I think it is Heart of Rock and Roll in the video. Like they're actually playing at Sherwood Hall, and it's in the video. I was like, holy cow! <laughs> so, but anyway, my point to it is, I just think if we need to shift um, certain properties that the city has so that it's more functional due to the sort of ever-changing nature of our mm-hmm. community. Like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't we do that? You know, yeah. I think it's a good opportunity. I love that we have a world-renowned sculpture sculpt. In, oh, in you're going to go. I, I love it. The I, nobody love sees the it though, Claudia. Know, like that's the I, part that drives me crazy. It drives me crazy too, but I just love the fact that we have a world-renowned sculpture in the hats. I think the, the hats. Hats. Little stages Meadow of Landia. Is, oh, it's got that stage. Yeah. It's got Yeah, it's, it's got promise. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, got promise. it's got that sculpture. So one of the things, so when Claus Oldenburg, this is when I first met you actually, was uh we yeah, had that right. we had that we had an interview, it was a super awkward interview. Um with Claudia and Klaus Oldenburg, who is like 
world renowned, yeah. like hardcore, has sculptures all over the world yeah. and crazy, you know, crazy, crazy stuff that, you know, if, if, if you were to look at Selena's, you think why, you know, how is it that we landed that? Right. right. When I did and, that research, that's literally what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And, but my frustration with it was that it's like, it's sort of like we've put it in a closet that nobody can see. And I, I tried every which way to try to like, I said, let's raise them up a hundred feet in the air so that you can see them from one one Right. Mm-hmm. So like, as you're going by, they're the three hats oh. off to the right when you're going North on one one or put them out in front of the uh, Rodeo grounds or Baton Park or somewhere like that so that you can actually yeah. showcase it. Because then when nobody's, when nobody sees it and it gets spray painted or graffitied and then like it, goes into ruin that's when you're not doing public art any justice and so um so anyway but uh the original committee from 1980 slapped my hand on it and said no it's supposed to be there and Klaus Oldenburg wanted it there uh and so I backed off on it because that's really you know ultimately it's it's the choice of the people and that's that was the the sculpt the sculpture artist uh, didn't want to move it, and the committee that brought it here didn't want to move it. So, because am I wrong in that? It's because it's supposed to be like a cowboy kind of chucked his hat from yep. the sports complex, and it's yep. turning and landing down to the community center, which is yeah, like, you know, yeah, cool story. But come on, <laughs> yes. you, you could yeah. Well, and what's funny? So, so this is what's really funny. So, I tried to do as much research as I could. I found an article from the Californian that was um, it. So they had come out with the sketches and there was like this whole contingency. It was, it was controversial back in 1980 because one cowboy hats aren't yellow Two, They don't have holes in them. And it looked like um, the man with the big yellow, the man with the big yellow hat from curious George. And it didn't look like a cowboy hat. So people were trying to give Klaus Oldenburg advice on what the sculpture should look like. And Klaus basically said, no way, man, this is my sculpture. And so, that's what we have. But it was a it was a big discussion back, you know, back in 1980, even on what it looked like. Man, artists and their temperaments, right? Yeah. They um, were also supposed to be tilted like it was actually like the hats were supposed falling. to be tilted like they were falling. But when they tried to install them because of the weight of them, it was impossible. So they so it's just like they're stationary, like small, medium or like tall, medium and short, yeah. <laughs> you know. That that part I hadn't heard. So yeah, uh, you mentioned something about, and I was going to make the the segue when we were talking about the library, but we jumped into claw, the 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 hats and uh-huh. and my unpronounceable name of the artist. No offense, sorry. It's just getting old, and I can't remember names. Um, what 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 books have influenced you your your thought process? What what books oh, you man. Um, so that's, it's interesting that you bring that up because it was a goal of mine this year, uh, to read a book. And part of it was, um, from 2010 to 2018, I realized that I had really stopped reading books because, and there's total legit reason for this. I was reading staff reports all the time for transportation agency of Monterey County, for the Salinas Valley Solid Waste Authority, for city council meetings, for briefings, for uh, Monterey County Convention and Visitors Bureau. Like I was reading all the time, but like a good trashy novel I I hadn't read in a decade. Um, I do like 
uh, I like light reading. Um, I had a, uh, I had a great book. Tina Fey's Bossy Pants was a really great book for me. Love that book. Where she's like, you know, I think you should go ahead and cry. Uh, you know, people say you shouldn't cry in front of, you know, a crowd. It's like, go ahead and cry. It terrifies everyone. Right. (laughs) I think there's, there's some truth to that, particularly as a woman who, is in a male dominated industry. I mean, there are many times, and I say industry, but being a politician, it's like seven out of eight are men. I mean, I have, I have four opponents that are all men. I we've had exactly one female mayor in the 150 year history of the city of Salinas. One, Anna Caballero. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was like, I think it's time for number two, three, four, and five. Thanks. But you know, we, we are half the population, but, um, they, there is also another one that I love, but it like makes no sense other than I was uh, my master when I was going through my master's program, the 9-11 commission report I thought was phenomenal just in terms of how uh, critical it was of government and critical it was of um, uh, just the missed opportunities in communicating and collaboration amongst jurisdictions. So even something as simple as like New York police department with the FBI and having conversations and sharing information. I think that's probably, probably where I get a little bit of my decision-making where it's like, you need to hand out shovels in the sandbox in order to like actually get stuff done. Um, that was a great learning tool for me, but, um, so there's a little bit of the trashy novel side and the other side for seriousness and what I do. You're at the coffee shop and you're like, whereas I would like a Frappuccino, whereas. <laughs> it's like, seriously, like, okay, let me just go back to page 322 and highlight it. I got really good at reading on an iPad, which I know sounds super silly now because we're all technologically like advanced, but in 2010, they handed me like this crazy 500 page binder, which was like the weekly staff report. And I was like, I have a 900 square foot condo. If you're going to hand me one of these every week, I I'm going to run out of room in my condo real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, is this, do you have this like in digital format? Can you email it to me? And so they very ceremoniously, and you'll appreciate this. They very ceremoniously handed me an iPad, like, okay, we've got it all in digital form. This is 2010. This isn't 1998. Right. So they hand me an iPad at city hall, no Wi-Fi, at city hall. 300 page reports. I was like, what's the data plan on this thing? I'm like downloading hundreds of thousands, no joke, thousands of pages like every week. And so that it was at that point, I was like, why don't we, why don't we get a a line item on the budget that year? (laughs) Like, like, why are our Wi-Fi things? (laughs) So, and that was, we actually finally got Wi-Fi, open Wi-Fi at city hall so that, you know, you could sit in on a city council meeting and like, actually the reporters were super irritated that they couldn't, (laughs) they couldn't type out their, you know, their stories while they were at city hall. But anyway, fun, fun little story there. Yeah. Want to take the last question? The last question. We've been asking the last question is just another softball, and it is anything that you would like to end up with. I mean, uh, the conversation. Oh, Oh. Um, you know, I think, um, well, first of all, I would just like to say I'd like to come back. Like I've sort of lurked in the background (laughs) and listened to your podcasts here and there. I sort of feel like I'm Tiffany Haddish on Jimmy Fallon finally. Like, oh, hi, there's Oz. (laughs) I heard so much about him. 
But, uh, you know, ultimately, I would say I just I mean, I, I could be really cheesy about it and just say I'm I'm excited to, you know, to lead the city. I think I'm prepared and I'm ready. I'm comfortable with it. Um, I, you know, a lot of people have said that Joe Gunter, I have big shoes to fill with Joe Gunter and I've it's cheesy, but it's true. And saying like, I don't want to fill his shoes, but I hope to follow in his footsteps. I have my own twist on things. Um, I have a, a younger perspective on a lot of, a lot of it. And, um, but I'm motivated to try to make our city better. And I, I really want to, I really want to make some change in our city. So excited to, for hopefully for the opportunity. Well, thanks for coming to the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, good luck to you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Thank you.